Hello you wonderful geeky people and welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with another hour of geeky news, views, reviews and general geekiness. How you doing? Hope everything's good with you. Um, welcome to How the Sausage Gets Made, episode 476 in the series. Uh, most of the show was recorded well in advance this week. I did most of the recording on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, it is now 10 to 3 in the afternoon on Thursday the 12th of October as I record the introduction, which is all I thought I had to do. But there has been breaking news, news which broke this morning and which has taken me a little while to process. So I, I gave some thought to going back and dropping this into the news section of the show but actually, I want to I deal with it outside of the news section. Uh, I, I often do this with obituaries because that's what this is. Um, and it's not the first time that I have been shaken much more than I expected to be by the death of a comics professional. But I am genuinely shook by the announcement of the very untimely death of comics writer and artist Keith Giffen, aged 70. Now, if you are not a massive comics fan, you will not know who Keith Giffen was. If you are a massive comics fan, you may not know who Keith Giffen was. Um, I, I'm going to go at, at some length into this, and as a result... Some things that have been recorded already for this show are going to get bumped off the end. I'm not quite sure what yet. I am literally making this up as I go along. Uh, but I want to talk about Keith Giffen. He was a legendary comics writer and artist. And I think if you want to know, if you want to get the measure of the man, I think you perhaps ought to take a look at the way his death was announced, which was announced according to the wishes of his family. It was announced on Keith Giffen's Facebook page with the following statement, which I will now read verbatim. I told them I was sick. Anything to not go to New York Comic Con. Thanks, Keith Giffen, 1952 to 2023. <laughs> That is the announcement of the death of the great Keith Giffen. So who was he? Um, well, Keith Giffen is best known in comics for his work on Justice League International and Le Legion of Superheroes. Uh, he also is the co-creator of Rocket Raccoon, who you may have heard of in one of their movie things that Marvel did. Uh, he is the co-creator of Lobo. Uh, and if you saw the Blue Beetle movie recently, uh, Keith Giffen is the co-creator of Jamie Ray's and that version of Blue Beetle, which is the version that you saw in the movie. As I understand it, Giffen suffered a stroke uh, on Sunday and uh, died as a result of that stroke uh, this Monday, October the 10th. Uh, and I, what do you say about this guy? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you his biography. 
Okay, he was born in November 1952 uh, in Queens, in New York. And his first work in comics, like so many other people, was actually a text story, a prose story, called The Sword and the Star, which was published in 1976's Marvel Preview Issue 4. Uh, in the same year, uh, along with uh, Jeff Mantlow, who we've talked about on the show before, uh, Giffen co-created the Rocket Raccoon uh, in Marvel Preview 7. He's best known, though, for his work at DC Comics, uh, where he wrote the Legion of Superheroes, uh, including co-creating the Great Darkness Saga storyline with legendary writer Paul Levitz. And yeah, all the way across the early and mid-1980s, uh, Giffen was working on DC, DC characters like Dr. Fate, uh, Amethyst, Aquaman, um, along with uh, Roger Sleifer, he, he was writing Lobo, uh, and Ambushbug, who is an entirely Giffen creator. Uh, you probably haven't heard of Ambushbug. He's hard to explain. Um, Google Ambushbug. Just Google him, because such a glorious character. And one of the things that comes across in Giffen's work is how much he loved comics, specifically the amount of fun you could put into comics. Um, in an interview with the magazine Jack Kirby Collector in 2000, uh, he said this. I'm, I'm quoting this directly from his obit in on Comic Book News, uh, which I... Uh, sorry, comicbook.com, uh, which I recommend heartily to you. If you go to comicbook.com and look for Keith Giffen's obit, you'll, you'll find this. Uh, but Giffen said, Comic books... For such a small, incestuous, inbred little business, and I mean that in a good way, we take this job so seriously. All the time I was doing Justice League, even when it was number one and outselling everything DC had, there was not a day that went by that I was not pressured to take the humour out. It's destroying their book. People will junk their characters out of the book. I don't want Keith telling them. He'll make fun of them. And the deal I had with people was when they walk in the door of the embassy, they're in my, they're mine. When they walk out, I will return them to you in the same shape they were, they were when they came in. And what he means by that is that during Giffen's run writing Justice League, uh, they, the Justice League was given an embassy. They had Justice League embassies all over the world. And uh, the book became Justice League International. And it was kind of the idea that, you know, the whole world needs superheroes. That's what the Justice League does. There will be a superhero embassy in every country where if people need superheroic help, they can go and turn to the Justice League. He made the Justice League belong to the world. But he also didn't take it seriously at all. Um, when I read from the uh, announcement of his death, I, I, I read that, that the last words. I, I'm not making up that thing. Um that was how Giffen described his own work. The, his tenure on Justice League International is still referred to as the Bwahahaha era of the Justice League because he put humour into everything he did and he did not make the characters jokes. This, this is really important to understand. He was not writing comedy in that sense, although a lot of his Justice League stuff is hilarious. He was poking fun 
at the 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 way people would take these characters in their bright primary coloured skin tight outfits so seriously. And he was there was always just that that little edge of well yeah, but superheroes are ridiculous, aren't they? Look at that. The man's wearing a cape for God's sake. There was a little bit of that always in the background of Giffen's work. And honestly, I genuinely think that we need more of that, not less, in not just the modern incarnation of comics, but the modern incarnation of comic-related media like movies. Uh, you will note, I think, that the best superhero movies of the last, OK, let's say 15 years at this point, have been the ones that do have that element of humour in them. Um, Iron Man. You know, it's a serious movie insofar as a comic book movie can be serious, but it, it's got that little lightness of touch, that levity in it, as does the Avengers, as does uh, all the Spider-Man movies from Sony. Um, and you compare that to the grim, dark Man of Steel and Zack Snyder's Justice League, which are fine and good films in their own way, but they are missing something. I think it's worth noting that Wonder Woman uh, of that Zack Snyder Justice League era um, does have that, just that lightness of touch that Patty Jenkins brought to it. And I think it, it as a movie, it benefits from that. I think Giffen is completely right to bring that 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 sense of humor in uh, Batman, I think, is a better character if he has a wry sense of humor. The way that he was written by Keith Giffen, uh, Frank Miller's sort of dark "I am the Knight" version of Batman is fine, but I don't want to read that every day. I could, I really could read Keith Giffen's Batman all day, every day. It is flipping awesome. And, you know, he, he ruffled some feathers doing that. And he didn't win a lot of friends amongst the sort of hardcore Justice League fans. But he brought so many more readers to the book in spite of the received wisdom of the time. Bearing in mind, you know, this is the mid, mid 80s. You know, um, Frank Miller is doing Dark Knight Returns and Year One. And over at Marvel, Frank Miller is doing uh, Daredevil Born Again and Man Without Fear. And, and, and there was that sense, you know, Alan Moore's Watchmen, that, that gritty, grim, realistic superhero thing, which is so much not what Giffen was doing. But what Giffen was doing is saying, yeah, well, well, that's fine. But people like a bit of a laugh as well, don't they? And he really brought that in without ever, ever belittling the characters. Um, it's a, the, the JLI era, the Justice League International era, that, that starts in 1987. Um, and it, it ran for, for a, a few years. Um, he also worked you know, for DC well into the modern era. Uh, he was the writer on Marvel's Annihilation event uh, just a few years ago. And, you know, he changed comics in so many good ways. And he just lightened the mood in so many important ways that I... I I honestly don't understand why he's not already vaunted in the, the sort of Alan Moore, Frank Miller, Neil Gaiman pantheon of the sort of modern giants of comics, because he really is 
that. I, his sense of humour, I'm so pleased to see, stayed with him until the end. Um, I never met Keith Giffen. I'm not even sure he's done a con in the UK ever. Um, and so I, I never got to tell him what a hero he was to me to his face. And I will always lament that. So um, I will raise not a glass, but a smile to the memory of the great Keith Giffen. Somewhere up there, he is laughing himself stupid. Long may that continue. Now, sadly, Giffen is not the only obit that we have for you this week, uh, but uh, the other obit we have for you this week is actually in the news section that was recorded earlier this week. So we now return you to the programme I intended to make in the first place. Sad Spock, take it away. This news really changes everything. So we start the news with some sad news and sad news that is perhaps underreported elsewhere simply because it deals with a person who most people will not have heard of. But I am massively saddened to report on the ridiculously untimely death of the designer... Shona Tripsik. Now, this may not be a massively familiar name to a, to, to, to a lot of people, maybe even to many people. But if you're a geek, you know her work. Um, Shona Tripsik is, was uh, an Emmy-nominated costume designer. Uh, she had worked on uh, several of the Disney Plus Star Wars series. Um, she had worked with Joss Whedon um, on all kinds of things. Uh, She worked on Firefly. The dress that Inara wears on uh, the episode of Firefly called Shindig. Uh, If you've ever watched Firefly, you know what I'm talking about. That was actually adapted from Dripsick's own wedding dress. Okay, she had a huge influence on what an awful lot of characters looked like. She made Mal's brown coat, for goodness sake. Uh, She worked very closely with uh, Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau on uh, season three of The Mandalorian. She's nominated for an Emmy for her costume design for season three of The Mandalorian. She also worked on season two of The Mandalorian. She worked on The Book of Boba Fett, and I think many of us can agree that the best thing about that show was the costumes. Um, She worked on Ahsoka, which uh, I'm not talking about, but has recently finished. Uh, And again, one of the great things about Ahsoka was the costume, the look of the characters. Um, she worked on Angel. She worked uh, with Joss Whedon. She worked on Dollhouse with Joss Whedon. And again, not a fan of the show, but the costumes were great. Uh, she worked with Whedon on Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog featuring Neil Patrick Harris. Um, and she worked on The Cabin in the Woods also. And I think, look, if you've seen 
I, 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 I'm going to break my my rule about not talking about these shows in the context of this, I think, because I, I, I don't want this. She does not deserve the strike to mute her recognition. If you've seen the Disney Plus Star Wars shows, particularly The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka, I think one of the things you have to appreciate is just how good the costuming was, how much it cements the characters. And bearing in mind that a lot of these characters are pre-existing characters, how it helps with the development of those characters. The last time we saw Ahsoka Tana, for example, she was an animated character in the show Rebels. And there's some of that look in the character that has been dressed by Tripsic. But there's also something in the look of that character that shows you how she's moved on in the time since the era of Rebels. Because Rebels is set before the fall of the Empire. It's set before Rogue One. And Ahsoka is set after Return of the Jedi. So this is a much older character. This is a character who was... Uh, I, I forget what species Ahsoka Tano is supposed to be. Um, but she was a teenager of that species in the Clone Wars. And I, I guess a young adult of that species in Rebels. But she's now with Luke Skywalker. In, you know, we saw her in season two of The Mandalorian. She's working, she, she has worked with Luke Skywalker, who is the son of her master. Sorry, spoilers for Ahsoka, but seriously, not really a spoiler. Uh, spo she, she, he, Luke Skywalker is the son of Anakin Skywalker, who was her master when she was training to be a Jedi. So, and, and the costuming ha gives you both that sense of continuity with the character and also that this is a character who has aged. And who is not quite the same person that she used to be, because who of us is? Beautifully done. Beautifully, beautifully done. And just visually very, very striking, too. So, I, I mean, I think uh, a comment from Dave Filoni uh, last week, uh, after the announcement of Triptych's death, uh, he said that she had a deep love and appreciation for Star Wars. And he said, you can see that, that in every piece of work she did with us. She loved everything about being a part of these stories, including connecting with fans and being part of that community. I feel like she's always been part of Star Wars. Her costumes tell a story, providing the suggestion of a life experience that happened before the cameras rolled. I, I agree with that. Um, Favreau also, uh, sorry, Dave Favreau, that was, that, was, that was Dave Filoni. John Favreau also said, her creativity brought this world to life. She'll be deeply missed both as a friend and as a colleague, which is, okay, kind of anodyne, but her creativity brought this world to life, I think is very true. Not just of her work on Star Wars, uh, but also her work on Firefly. Again, just just think back, if you, if you know Firefly, to the costumes in that show and how they made every single one of those characters so visually distinctive. It, it's brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Um, 
And of course, you know, she worked on other stuff. She worked on the SpongeBob movie, for goodness sake. Uh, she worked on Torchwood. Um, she was a member of the Costume Designers Guild. Um, she was a staunch advocate for pay equality for costume designers, which is a, a real issue. Um, she leaves behind her mother, Rana, and two children, Joseph and Sarah. Uh, and she was 56. Uh, unfathomably young. Uh, and uh, so talented, so skilled. Uh, it's a huge, huge loss. So our sincere and heartfelt condolences go to everyone who knew her, her family and her friends. And um, we will celebrate her legacy as we watch all of the shows she worked on and appreciate the brilliance of her design. Ah, right. On to, on to other weirder news. OK, now I'm not sure that this is news, but it is a thing that's happened recently. So I'm going to drop it into the news bracket. But it's actually indicative of something rather more than that. It's a more general point than just the actual incident that I'm talking about. Uh, and that is... Artificial intelligence and the unexpected and unintended, I have to be fair, unintended consequences thereof. And the problem of AI doing things that it, frankly, rather imagining, imaginationless creators hadn't thought of. And when I say that the creators of AI are rather imaginationless, I really do mean that because, honestly... What I'm about to talk about is entirely predictable. Anyone who's ever been on the Internet knows exactly what the Internet is like. And if they could not figure out that something like this would happen, then they have literally no functioning imagination whatsoever. Which is the point with and the problem with quite a lot of AI, in my view. What am I talking about? Well, there is an AI service, we're going to call it that, um, called DreamGF. Uh, Dream, I, DreamGF, I presume, stands for Dream Girlfriend. And this will allow you to create an online girlfriend. I, I presume there's an online boyfriend AI equivalent. Now, Previously, they, these things are not particularly new, uh, but previously they've been chatbots. And honestly, I can see the utility in them. Uh, if you are lonely, you can create the perfect AI personality online for you to just chat with. And I know research shows that for some people, um, this has been a hugely useful therapeutic tool for people who are socially awkward, who find interacting with actual people genuinely quite difficult. I, I neither mock nor disparage that. And if talking to what is effectively a computer helps, then great, fantastic, fine, brilliant. Um, what DreamGF will do for you is... Create an AI generated avatar, really, uh, to go with that personality. So not only can you talk online, you, you know, 
typing through the keyboard with your dream girlfriend, you can see her. Or, and I, I say, I, all the reporting has been of the girlfriend site. I presume there is a corresponding male version. I, I don't actually know that there is. Um, now, in and of itself, again, there is nothing particularly wrong with that. Uh, we can, you know, from the outside looking in, imagine that this is weird or sad. But I, I don't like to attach judgment to things like this. I really, really don't. No. If what was being generated was a, a unique individual image, that's fine. Okay? I, I have no problem with people doing that. I might even go so far as to say that this could be an acceptable use of AI, except that you would have to work out where the imagery was coming from. And... If that imagery is trained on data sets of people who have not consented to have their image used in that way, that could be problematic. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's what's happened and it's problematic. What people who are using DreamGF AI are reporting is that what they are getting, in many cases at least, are sexually explicit images of real people celebrities people you know people that you would recognize and you know with the usual ai art art in heavy air quotes there ai imagery perhaps is a better term problems that you know these things actually bear no relation to humans you know arms and legs are in the wrong place the wrong number of fingers all all that stuff is going on which you know I don't want to kink shame anybody here, but that would not be my thing, I think is what I'm saying. Um, now, this is problematic on a number of levels, okay? If even, even non-suggestive images are being generated using real people, whether they be famous or not, without the knowledge or consent of those real people, that's a, that's a problem. That's ethically, that's something that I simply cannot countenance. I, I, that is as bad as sharing explicit pictures of somebody you know, that you've really taken of a real person without their consent. That, too, is ethically unacceptable. This is the same thing. You know, even if the computer is doing it unwittingly, that's what's happening. And it's wrong for reasons I really hope I don't need to explain to anybody listening. More than that, you know, if that were the only problem, that would be problem enough. But that's not the only problem. The problem is also a problem for the users of this service. Now, you know, I, I am sure there are people who are judging the users of this service. I am not one of them. But it's a problem for them. First of all, you know, if someone wants to generate a, a, a unique indivi online individual, a, a unique digital persona to have any kind of relationship with, I presume they don't want it to look like Taylor Swift. I, you know, I, I presume if they wanted Taylor Swift, they would have specifically requested that and probably been told that that was not an option. So if a digital avatar is produced that looks like an actual famous person, that may not be what the user of the service wants. That's not the big problem, though. The big problem is that this is illegal in a lot of jurisdictions. It is unlawful to 
create images of a person in any kind of explicit or compromising situation without the express explicit consent of that person. So by using this service and having this service randomly generate a picture that clearly looks like an actual living person, you may have inadvertently committed quite a serious criminal offence. And when I say quite a serious criminal offence, depending how the law is interpreted, it could be the kind of thing not only that you could do jail time for, but something that might lead to you being put onto the sex offenders register. Okay, it's that serious. Potentially, it's that serious. That's before we even touch the idea that this system could conceivably generate such imagery of people who are below the age of consent, which takes you into a situation where I don't think there's even any ambiguity about the law and how much time in jail you could be looking at if you are involved in the generation of such images. Now, I have no problem with people who deliberately create such images going to jail for a very long time. That's cool by me. I think the point I'm trying to, I, I'm coming towards, though, is that the creators of this technology claim not to have realised that this would happen. Well, this always happens, first of all. I can't think of a single new technology that hasn't been used for sexually explicit purposes fairly early on in its existence. Um, yeah, just, just look at history. Uh, this is how videotape was first used. This is how photography, for goodness sake, was first used. This is how moving images were first monetized. This is how the Internet took off in the first place, is people using this kind of stuff to produce and distribute explicit material. That's just how technology gets used. So to not have thought that this would happen with AI is, at best, ridiculously naive. At worst, genuinely irresponsible. And of course, we come back to the issue with all AI image generation, which is that AIs don't create anything. They can only work using stuff that already exists. Which means they must have trained this AI image generation algorithm or whatever it is on images of celebrities. I suspect they've just scraped pictures from the internet, to be honest. Which means it's not just celebrities that are in there. It's me, it's you. It's anyone who's ever had their image put onto the internet. And at this stage, that must be most of humanity. Certainly most of humanity in the West. So ask yourself the question, how cool are you with somebody you've never met and will never meet generating a digital image, a digital person in effect, a digital character, let's go with that, that looks exactly or at least very much like you for the purposes of having a um, a, a digital romantic relationship without your knowledge. How cool are you with that? See, I'm there's a bit of me that thinks, well, if I don't know about it, how, who's am I being hurt? 
But at the same time, it skeeves me out. Basically, if you're cool with it, then fine. Um, you're pe- perhaps more emotionally well-rounded than I am. But if you're not cool with it, then understand that you are not cool with AI art. Because that's what AI art, heavy air quotes, is. It is images made of other images that already existed and that have been used and incorporated into the AI-generated image without the knowledge or consent of the person who made the original image. Whether that image is of an actual person or of another piece of art, AI is using that imagery without the knowledge or consent of the person who is responsible for its creation. I think that's morally unacceptable. And I think finally, I've I've struggled to articulate why I think that. I think the Dream GF issue actually kind of illustrates it. If I would not be cool with my image being used in that way, then I should not be comfortable with any image being used in that way. I think that's a consistent stance. Uh, So, again, I, I don't have time at the moment to put show notes up. Um, I will point you at the report from 404 Media uh, about this. This is where I, I've read a, a number of articles about this issue now. Uh, and I don't think I've particularly explained it all that well. Um, it, it's it's interesting to me more as an example of how badly things can go wrong. Um, but if you Google um, 404 Media, dream AI girlfriend randomly turns into nude Jennifer Lopez has four legs, uh, that should find you the article. And um, you can go from there, really, if you have an interest. Uh, it's it's a weird one. It's a very, very weird one. And as I say, I think it beautifully underlines the weakness uh, that is inherent at the moment in AI. I'm not saying that AI will never be able to produce art. I am saying that's not what it's doing at the moment. And I think this this, this is a huge illustration of what can go badly wrong. And just to close out the news section, while we talk about things going badly wrong. So, Twitter. Look, I I don't propose to dwell on Twitter very much. Uh, Just that people have started noticing that weird posts are beginning to show up in their timelines. They're sort of clickbaity, adverty things, but they don't appear to be officially adverts that they're not declaring themselves as that Uh, they're actually sort of appearing without any kind of a poster's name attached to them even Uh, you can't block them and you can't report them Um, and it's it's problematic for a lot in a lot of people's minds because it's just completely not transparent Um, and what it also is giving us is just a little bit of an insight perhaps in just how much twitter and yes i'm still calling it that is struggling to attract actual advertisers you know real people who pay actual money actual companies um the website mashable has reported that many users of twitter um I'm, I'm not calling it X. I'm not. Uh, have reached out to Mashable and and said, you know, they're seeing a kind of ad on the For You feed 
that they'd not seen before. Uh, they can't be retweeted. Uh, you can't like them. You can't report them. You can't do any. You don't even know who's behind the ad or whether it's an ad. Um, it's stuff like a picture of smiley people in the sunshine um, with a caption that says, this seems unbelievable, but happens in Dubai every day. Or um, there's a picture of a dude tipping baby oil into his ear. And the caption is, if you suffer from ringing ears, tinnitus, you're going to love this recent breakthrough. And so on and so on and so on. Um, this is huge clickbaity stuff that we're, I mean, we're used to seeing clickbaity headlines like this. But these are utterly untraceable. That They're not claiming to, they're not saying that they're from a company or anything like that. Um, now, it makes me think that they would not be appearing if there was any actual paying advertising that Twitter was getting. Indeed, we know that Twitter has been struggling to attract advertisers for some time. I, that was because Elon Musk will not shut up about it. Uh, one of the, the foundations of some of his recent anti-Semitic ranting has been along the lines of, you know, organisations are in some way defaming Twitter and preventing people from spending their ad money on the platform. Now, I think that's unlikely, to be fair to everyone. I, I, I simply don't think that's what's happening. I don't think Twitter actually these days is relevant enough for people to want to do that. I think that's why they're not advertising. That, that there's Not only do you not want to risk your advertisement appearing in the middle of some sort of far-right hate field um, rant, you also don't want to spend your advertising money on a platform that nobody takes seriously and, and which fewer and fewer people every day are even looking at. I, 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 I will be honest. I know that this is happening on Twitter because I've been told. The only reason I, I, I went back and looked was because somebody told me that it was there to see. Uh, we are not looking at Twitter on a regular basis anymore. Uh, I'm still talking about Twitter because I do find it fascinating how such an influential cultural phenomenon has become so irrelevant so quickly. Even you know, only, a, only a year ago, even the people who hated Twitter kind of thought they needed to be there. And now nobody feels like they need to be there as far as I can see. Uh, we haven't deleted our account uh, at Desties, but we we ceased posting a while ago, and I, I see no reason to go back. I occasionally look, go, just go and have a look and see if I'm missing anything, and the, the honest answer is no. So, yeah, uh, that's, I'm assuming that this is just another stage in the continued decline and fall of the website that used to be Twitter. But I don't know, you know, it's been counted out many times before, so I wouldn't also rule out a resurgence at this point. I guess we uh, we wait to see. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, before I move on, actually, I said that was rounding out the news. Before I move on, 
Um, there is just something that I, I've been meaning to talk about, and I haven't. So, okay, so this is moderately old news, Neil, but I haven't talked about it because it happened while I was away, and I didn't get a chance to catch up with it last week. So, I am not currently talking about US shows, because anything made by Hollywood, covered by the strike, the writers have settled, the actors have not, I am still very much supporting their strike. However, not everything is made in the USA. And although Doctor Who is going to be showing internationally on Disney+, and Disney is very much the bad guy in the strike, Doctor Who is still a BBC show, and therefore I can talk about it, and therefore I'm going to. There is a trailer for the 60th anniversary specials. Now, these are special because... As you will know, if you've ever listened to this show when I've talked about Doctor Who, at least lately, Jodie Whittaker, the 13th Doctor, did not regenerate into the next Doctor Who. We know that the next Doctor will in fact be played by Shuti Gatwa, uh, who is a fabulous actor, probably, who I have never seen in anything because I have not seen either the Barbie movie or Sex Education. But we do know that Shuti Gatwa will be the Doctor, but he's not the Doctor for the 60th. No, he's not going to be the 14th Doctor. The 14th Doctor is, in fact, the 10th Doctor. I know, it's all getting wibbly-wobbly and timey-wimey. But, although the next series of Doctor Who will feature Shuti Gatwa as the Doctor, for the 60th anniversary, we are bringing back David Tennant, who portrayed the 10th Doctor. But it's David Tennant, what, a decade after he last played the Doctor? More than that, probably. So, he's a David Tennant who does not look quite as youthful as the 10th Doctor. I don't know whether that's why they've canonically made him the 14th Doctor, but they have. This is a Doctor who is wearing a face that looks very much like a face the Doctor has worn before, but it's not the same incarnation. Which does give David Tennant the distinction of being the only person ever to be regenerated into by the Doctor twice. And, I don't know, I actually thought, when this was announced, I thought it was stunt casting of the lowest possible order, but I've come round a bit now. And given the international affection in which David Tennant's Doctor is held, I, th and I think it, if anyone was going to be brought back to play the Doctor for the 60th, I think it's probably David Tennant. I think he's the one I'd choose. I I'm not sure he's my favourite of the modern Doctors, but that doesn't really matter. I I do think he perhaps is the best fit for this. Also, this is the first thing that new and old showrunner Russell T Davis is doing. Uh, he was the guy who brought Doctor Who back in the first place, back in 2005. He went away and now he's back. And because of that, he's the first Doctor Who showrunner to come back with some baggage. I am not going to suggest that everything Russell T. Davis did with Doctor Who was perfect. It wasn't. It was largely great. But there was one thing that most of fandom, I think, pretty much agrees he got wrong. And that is the fate of Donna Noble. Now, if you are not a, a, a Doctor Who fan, if you were not watching Doctor Who back in the David Tennant years, some explanation may be required. Uh, I'm not going to go into the depth of all the stories. We did talk about this uh, in the Geeks at the Gates many, many years ago now. 
Um, I don't know if you can Google that. Uh, I can't. I, I'm not going to put a link in the show notes because there aren't any show notes. But basically, what happened? We, neither I nor Alice nor Hat, who talked about this in the days, um, were a fan of what happened with Donna Noble. Basically, Donna Noble was the companion to the Tenth Doctor for a while, and Donna was brassy and brave and not particularly scientific and not subtle at all and famously a bit clueless about a lot of stuff he was portrayed by Catherine Tate as being uh, very loud and perhaps not stupid Donna was never stupid but she was not an intellectual I think that's probably the the way to to phrase that because I certainly would not want to say that Donna was stupid she was not but what happened with Donna was that she became super intelligent. Uh, she, for reasons, storytelling, not going into it, she absorbed some of the doctors, some Time Lord intelligence. She looked into the heart of the TARDIS. Now, we know that you cannot do that. As a mortal human, you cannot do that. And it was going to explode her head. Um, not literally, I don't think, although I, I wouldn't have put it past BBC special effects to have had a go at that, but certainly metaphorically. And so the Doctor resolved the situation by wiping Donna's memories against her will. She explicitly said, don't do that. And putting, essentially putting her back, um, taking her home and saying, this is what's happened. Take her. If she remembers me, she will die. And that was the justification for robbing Donna Noble of her agency in that way. That if her memories of the Doctor ever came back, she would die. The Doctor chose that she should live. Now, all sorts of people have had all sorts of problems with the Doctor's decision for, for since it happened, basically. Uh, I, and Russell T. Davis has said in the past, oh, that was a mistake. You know, to, to treat Donna in that way, to rob her of her agency, uh, that was bad storytelling. It looks as though he's coming back to correct to correct that error before he moves on to the new Doctor. So he's bringing David Tennant back. He's bringing Catherine Tate back as Donna Noble. And it's fairly clear from the trailer, it's very clear that Donna is going to get her memories back. And we are going to figure out how that works. Uh, we're also going to see the return of Donna's mum, which is fantastic. Uh, we are also going to get the return. We know this. We've known this for a long time. We're going to get the return of Donna's granddad, who was played by the wonderful Bernard Cribbins, who sadly died not long after wrapping filming on this. Uh, so this will be the last time you'll see Bernard Cribbins on screen. I note that he does not appear in the trailer. But I think clearly the fact that Donna is in danger is going to be the reason that the Doctor regenerated in the way he has. And I think we can call the Doctor he now. Actually, no, let's stick with gender neutral pronouns. I think it's better for this creature. Um, the Doctor has regenerated in the way that they have because Donna is in danger and Donna needs the Doctor's help. We see many other things in the trailer as well. We see a very swish Avengers-like tower in London that belongs to Unit. I'm not sure where that came from. That's the first time we've seen that, I think. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something. We're going to see Kate Lethbridge-Stewart once again, 
uh, as the head of unit. Uh, of course, not that long since we saw her. We saw her in the finale of the 13th Doctor's run. And we are going to see some American talent. We're going to see Neil Patrick Harris, who I will always think of as Doogie Hauser, but he has, in fact, been many, many other things too. Probably, from a geek perspective, best known as uh, the intelligence guy from Starship Troopers. It's who Neil Patrick Harris is playing that is so interesting. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is going to be the celestial toy maker, or at least I th- he's he's the toy maker in the trailer. I don't think officially the celestial toy maker is called the celestial toy maker, but that's what fans call him. This is a character from way back in original Who, and clearly the th- the the threat that the Doctor and Donna are gonna have to face. As a trailer, I've got to say I absolutely loved it. It was cinematic. It was dropping in enough hints as to what's gonna happen to make it interesting, but not giving anything really away that we didn't already know. We've seen Neil Patrick Harris in costume. We've seen Shooty Gatwa, who does appear at the end of the trailer, in costume. Uh, we've seen David Tennant and Catherine Tate in costume. So none of this was spoilers. Um, yeah, as I say, we get to see the, the, the tower. We get to see Kate Lethbridge. It feels epic in a way that the 60th anniversary of something like Doctor Who deserves to feel. And I... I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I am excited for this. I am very, very excited for this. And we are less than two months away from this now. Doctor Who's 60th anniversary, or at least the 60th anniversary of the first broadcast of Doctor Who, is November the 23rd, 2023. That's not long, folks. So, colour me excited. I think this is going to be a great start to a new era of Doctor Who, uh, an era that perhaps has more money, an era that has a much more experienced showrunner, the first person ever to have had the job before. I'm not going to say that I can't see a thousand ways that everything could go wrong because I'm a Doctor Who fan, and of course I can, but I am at least as cautiously optimistic as I've ever been. And from me, that's saying quite a lot. And I guess with less than 10 minutes of the show remaining, we should probably move on. Okay, so all of that was past Reggie talking to you from... uh, Well, I think I recorded that last segment on Tuesday. Uh, This is now current Reggie talking to you once again from Thursday afternoon on the 12th of October. Uh, and um, I'm just looking at all the other bits and pieces that were supposed to be in this show, and I'm looking at the time counter and realising that I've got no way of fitting everything in. Uh, You were supposed this week to be getting the long-promised section on Werner von Braun's Second World War. I promised you that, uh, and then I didn't deliver it, and it is recorded, it does exist, Uh, But it's also 18 minutes and 38 seconds long. And that is not going to fit in here. And uh, as Time's Winged Chariot draws inexorably closer, uh, I also do not have time to edit it down into two two parts or anything like that. So that will probably come next week. 
unless something else happens that eats up huge amounts of time that I wasn't expecting to spend. What I am going to do, which honestly I should do more of anyway, is I am going to take a moment to celebrate the, the other shows that appear on Harrogate Community Radio. As you know, Geeking with Destination Venus happens uh, on Harrogate Community Radio every Thursday evening at 8pm. It's repeated on a Saturday lunchtime and a Tuesday afternoon. But we are far from being the only show that you should be listening to. In fact, to be honest, I am surprised with so many other shows that are on. You bother listening to this at all. I would like particularly to draw your attention to uh, I Watched a Movie, which is co-hosted by uh, the the brilliant Jack Sinclair, who, of course, is the former owner of Destination Venus. But Jack and co-host Claire use that show to talk about movies that they have seen, and they cover some very esoteric and interesting stuff. I freely confess that many of the movies that they talk about are not movies that I am likely to go out of my way to ever see. But that's not really, for me at least, that's not really the point of the show. The point of the show is the the passion and the enthusiasm that Jack and Claire bring to it. Um, there's, there's nothing I enjoy more than listening to people who know a lot about a thing enthuse about something they love. At my best, I rather hope that that's what I do here. And certainly, uh, what, 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 what Claire and Jack do on I Watched a Movie is, uh, is what I would aspire to be. I don't think I reach their level, but I would aspire to it. So I would recommend that you check that out. You can hear it on Saturdays at one o'clock in the afternoon or on Wednesdays at two o'clock in the afternoon or, as I do, on Listen Again because I actually can't, generally speaking, listen to it at those times because I'm at work. But like all Harrogate radio shows, you can hear it at your leisure and I really do recommend you take a look. Or at least a listen. Can you, can you look at a radio show? Anyway, I'd also like to give a bit of a shout out to Apero Time, which possibly one of my favourite mixers of show on the on the station. Uh, basically, what you have is an incredibly cool host, uh, the, the brilliant Paul, um, who talks with knowledge and wit, I think I have to say, about fine food, fine drink and just the pleasure of entertaining. Um, you may know Paul from Twitter, uh, and I think he's still on there, actually, as the aperitif guy. And I mean, his show is just a great evening relax on a Sunday evening. Um, a little bit of music, a little bit of interesting chat about great food and drink, and and other stuff as well. And the other stuff as well is is where where I come in now. Because I'm going to be on it. I'm actually quite excited. It's the first time I've been on somebody else's show on Harrogate Community Radio. But this Sunday, 6 o'clock, I'm going to be on it. Uh, Paul has very kindly asked me to uh, go on and talk about Thought Bubble, uh, which I have talked about a little bit this year on my show. I'll be talking about it again at some length, I'm afraid, uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, but Paul's asked me to go on and just explain what the fuss is about really, and why uh, a world-class 
comics convention like Thought Bubble is so important to this mad little town that we all live in. And again, in one of those great How the Sausage Gets Made reveals, uh, I'm going to totally spoil everything by pointing out that it's it's coming out on Sunday. We recorded it earlier today. Uh, So I already know um, it's, it's a great conversation, not because I'm in it, but because Paul controls things beautifully. Um, I do go off on the odd rant, which I'm fairly sure Paul is going to expertly edit so it sounds like I'm not. Uh, And so I thank you, Paul, in advance for making me sound as good as I know you will. And normally he has much better guests, so don't let me put you off. But yes, if you haven't heard enough of me ranting already, you can hear me ranting in a slightly more controlled manner uh, on a paratime this weekend. And that sort of begins to bring us to an end, I suppose. Uh, a, a little a little look over at the Geek Community Notice Board. Uh, and uh, I have no particular events happening. There's the usual great programmer stuff happening uh, over at Geek Retreat. And actually, I do also want to give a shout out to uh, Imagined Things, who, um, again, have their own events. Do check out the Imagined Things website for uh, details of the great stuff that they do with their story times and all that kind of thing. Um, one of the, one of my very favourite bookshops, and I'm not just saying that because I, I know Imagine Things and it's in Harrogate. Um, I, I love a good bookshop, and Imagine Things certainly is. Uh, and I'd just like to congratulate uh, Imagine Things Supremo, the, the brilliant Georgia Eckert, um, who, with her husband, has uh, welcomed a new little bookseller into the world. So uh, congratulations to to them and uh, huge shout out to the brilliant booksellers at Imagine Things who are keeping things going while Georgia is away on maternity leave. <sighs> and so there is a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about this week. I wanted to talk about um, the, uh, the examination of the material that's been brought back to Earth from the astronaut Bennu. Uh, I was going to throw in all kinds of and- Andromeda strain jokes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pass on that for now. Uh, we'll probably talk about Bennu in a, in a forthcoming episode. I was going to recommend some comics, but again, I don't have time to do justice to any of the comics that I might talk about. Um, I will just throw out there that an awful lot of issue ones have hit the shelf recently uh, with relaunches for Wonder Woman and The Flash and Green Lantern. So if you've ever wanted to get into the big characters from DC, now is probably an excellent time to do that because you've got some great jumping on points. I'll point out too that a lot of Marvel characters are also getting a new start in the next few weeks, uh, particularly Captain Marvel. So if you are planning to go and see the Marvels at the cinema, you might want to pick up some of the source material for that too. But for now, I cannot even fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run because I've got 45 seconds of the show left. So we will be back next week with a whole host of stuff that you should have heard this week and more. And don't forget, you can catch me again, if you haven't had enough already, on a para time at six o'clock on Sunday. Until we see you again, be kind to yourself, be kind to absolutely everybody else. And whatever else you do, above all else, stay geeky. We'll see you soon.